It all just comes down to being honest Mm -hmm. with one another. I do not have a filter when it comes to my clients. When like if things are going great, I'm there to celebrate. If things are not going good, I won't hide it from them. If we have a project out on submission and it's not selling, if we're getting some feedback from editors and you know they're not loving it for whatever reason, I share all of that with my clients. If my clients have any question for me about anything, they know that is what I'm here for. Like you said, looking at manuscript wish lists is a great first start. It's really hard to get the vibe of an agent off the internet. It's tricky. But if you do get to have a call with an agent, I think you just kind of know, right? You either click with someone or you don't. You either appreciate their communication style, the way they talk about things, or it's just not for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it goes both ways. Hey there, welcome back to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career, as well as write the best manuscript possible so that they can hook that dream literary agent. I'm Abigail Perry, a book coach and certified developmental editor who is honored to help writers learn how to blend passion with business. That's, of course, what Lit Match is about. And I'm so grateful that I get to be here to help steer you through the literary agent research process, as well as learning how to grow your writing craft. Today's guest is a real treat. Her name is Maria Vicente, and I'm excited to share a variety of topics that I'm lucky enough to always learn alongside with you when I ask these literary agents their questions. Some of these including as something as basic as what actually is a literary agent and how do you know? if signing with literary agent is the best for your publishing endeavors, to craft work like writing first chapters, styles of writing. We talk about what makes a literary novel and the differences between a traditional manuscript and graphic novels and so much more. All of this is brought to you by the wonderful agent at PS Literary Agency, Maria Vicente, and she is a senior literary agent and advisor at PS Literary, representing bold and innovative books for kids teens, and curious adults. Maria's favorite books to work on allow readers to experience something new about the real world or invite them into fictional worlds they'll never want to leave. In her eight years at PS Literary, Maria has launched the careers of many authors and illustrators and is known for being an early advocate of the growing graphic novel market in trade publishing. With a BA in English from Carleton University, and in a bachelor's in education from Western University, Maria puts her teaching background to use hosting presentations and workshops about the book industry. She lives in New Brunswick, Canada, reading and selling books from the Atlantic Ocean shore. Maria is also a member of the Professional Association of Canadian Literary Agents and is, in this time, expanding her list to include more great book titles on her client list. Without further ado, I have the privilege to bring you Maria Vicente. Hi, Maria. It's so nice to reconnect and have you on. Maria was so nice. She came on to my previous podcast, was my baby for fun podcast that I still loved called Story Effects. And we talked about some of her favorite stories, one of those being Josie and the Pussycats. Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) So I know that that's a favorite of yours, which was really fun to talk about. And today, I'm so honored to have you back to talk about your manuscript wish list and all your agenting work. So thank you for coming on. It's exciting to have you. 
Thank you for the invite. It's always nice to catch up with you. We do talk about manuscript wishlist and, of course, much more than that in these conversations. But let's start there. Let's start talking about your agenting career. What brought you into agenting? Why do you love it so much? And then what are you looking for currently on your MSWL? So I got into agenting after pursuing a education degree. So originally I was going to be a high school English teacher. Like a lot of people in publishing, I have my degree in the arts and English literature. So I went through all of that. Decided teaching just wasn't quite for me, especially in the high school setting. It felt a lot like babysitting and just not as fulfilling as I really wanted it to be. So I kind of stumbled into a post-grad program in publishing and took that. And at the time, I knew nothing about being an agent. I didn't even know that was a thing. I was like little baby going into publishing, not understanding how it all worked. So I learned about all the different roles in publishing. And it was through doing an internship at an agency that It really showed me how wonderful agenting is, how you get to work on so many different areas of publishing. You get to do a little bit of editing, a little bit of marketing. That's really what pulled me to it. And since I've been doing it, I've grown to really love the business side of things, redlining contracts and doing deal negotiations and whatnot. Obviously, a very big part of being an agent. And I never realized how much I how excited I get to find those errors, catch those things that publishers are putting into contracts that really are not beneficial to creators. So that's kind of what's really gotten me to stick with it over the years is being that support person for writers to go to on all the business side of things. As far as what I'm looking for and kind of what my list is looking like these days, I Definitely focused on children's books the past almost decade now that I've been doing it. That's just kind of naturally where my list has gravitated. Everything from picture books to middle grade to young adults. And in recent years, I've represented a lot of graphic novels. I'd say a big portion of my list is illustrated projects. That's really been my focus. And now that I've been doing that for a while, it's time to shift gears a little bit, bring on more writers that are focused on the adult market side of things, just so I can have creators on my list that are doing all different sorts of things in the publishing world. I'm still looking for children's books. Obviously, it's like my first love. I'm not getting away from that, but I am excited next year and moving forward to expand a bit. Absolutely. It's very exciting. When you were making these decisions about wanting to expand, how did you know it was time for you? What made you say, okay, I'm ready to move into adult? And why did you choose adult as your expansion? I've always been open to especially adult nonfiction. So even now, I've always had clients on my list writing in the adult space, but more so in nonfiction. Part of my like philosophy when it comes to bringing on new clients and deciding if a project is right for me. I've always tried to balance the projects I'm working on as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Some agents focus on a very specific thing and that works for them. So for example, you might talk to some agents who only represent picture books. They know picture books super well. That's all they're interested in and they're very good at it. I've always wanted a balance for, for my own sake, just to, you know, it's exciting to get to work on different stuff, much like reading books for pleasure if you're the type of person that reads different genres or when you pick out a tv show or a movie sometimes you want 
something super fluffy reality TV and other times you want to watch some indie film that nobody's heard of. So I've always just been naturally interested in a lot of different types of stories and genres. But then on a more logic side of things, I've always wanted to make sure my clients didn't have to compete with one another. I've been very careful to select clients who are doing different things in different ways. So of course I have, you know, I have more than one client writing picture books, but I would say of all my picture book clients, they're focused on very different types of stories. Their writing style is very different or their art style is very different. So I've tried to keep people in their own little area and I want to help them be like the go-to person for what it is they're doing. And I find when I read query letters now, when I'm looking at signing on potential new clients, if things are too similar to what my current clients are doing, you know, it's not a good fit. It like it, it doesn't benefit anybody to sign on with an agent who already has X number of clients doing a very similar thing. Mm. For the past 10 years, I've been very focused on children's literature. So my list is now quite full. I'm, you know, have to be pickier and pickier as the years go on about the new clients I bring on. Whereas on the adult side of things, I don't have as many people on my list writing those stories. So that's kind of where I have the most room to grow and keep things as fair and beneficial to my clients as possible. That's really interesting to hear that. Is there anything specific in the adult fiction, nonfiction area, any topics that you're drawn to most? Yeah, when it comes to nonfiction, as I said, I've I've always had clients writing in that area. I love history. So whether, you know, it's like cultural history, social history, those those type of things. I've always been interested in pop culture, entertainment-centered projects. And, you know, if anyone were to look at the books I've sold in the past, that's definitely a through line. For me, those are probably the biggest areas. But I also, I'm really into environmental science topics. I love music journalism. I love essay collections. It is kind of wide ranging. And I think with nonfiction in particular, most things can grab me. I love learning something Mm -hmm. new. And so if there's a book, if I get a proposal in my inbox and I know nothing about that topic, I'm probably going to want to read it. That's just my curious nature. And then on the other side of things for adult fiction, I'm most interested in, I would say, literary fiction as far as writing style goes. But Of course, we always want to read something that has a really good sales hook. I still want to be able to pitch it in two or three sentences. But as far as the writing style, I definitely lean towards more of what would traditionally be referred to as literary writing. I love contemporary stories and also speculative fiction. So anything that kind of brings in a little bit of fantasy or horror or magical realism, that sort of thing, but still firmly in that contemporary literary fiction genre. Sure. When you are talking about literary and what would be considered more literary, I think there's always a debate about commercial versus upmarket versus literary. So (laughs) in the literary space, how can you define what that is and the differences between commercial and upmarket? I always think of it in terms of watching movies. I don't know if it's the best way to think of it, but for me, in compartmentalizing different types of books, I think of commercial fiction as those blockbuster films mm-hmm. that like everyone goes mm-hmm. to you for a really great time. I think like the Fast and the Furious franchise, like so many people love those movies. You know, there's still depth 
to them. So it's not to say that being a commercial story doesn't mean it doesn't dive into deeper topics. It's just there's certain tropes that people are expecting. The pacing is always very quick. You kind of know what to expect. So when we think of a lot of like mystery fiction, detective fiction, even a lot of high fantasy or science fiction, I would consider them more commercial in that we can expect certain things from the plot and the characters. Whereas literary, I find, is it's a bit slower. There's a bit more of descriptive writing. We fall into the beauty of the words on the page rather than expecting the plot to just be moving forward at each turn. And I'd say it can be a bit more experimental, which is something I also love to see. I love stories that take a different narrative approach. Maybe they're not told in a linear manner. Maybe they're told through whether it's epistolary with some letters or emails or text messages. So I just find literary can be a bit more experimental with with the structure of the story as well. So this is really interesting because I'm also drawn more into this commercial but more literary angle, and I'm trying to figure out what exactly that is. So I love Frederick Backman. Have you read Frederick Backman at all? Like Man Called Uva yeah. and the Beartown series? Okay. So it was funny because I went to see him speak and okay. he talked about how publishing was saying, this is the genre that you're in. And he was like, I didn't know I was writing a genre. So I think many writers feel this way. They need to figure out what is my genre, but sometimes that's, it seems like it's an obvious answer, but sometimes it's more challenging to define than others. For whatever reason, it's like, it seems like it's easier to do it when you're analyzing something else, but when you're writing it yourself, maybe you go mm-hmm. into that space. So I found it really interesting that he said that, but then he didn't tell me what genre he actually was writing. He just was saying, then they told me yeah. I was in this genre. So then I was sitting there and I'm like, what genre are you? I was like, are you commercial? Are you literary? Because his his writing is the language of it. I feel it definitely has this more literary approach to it. And mm-hmm. he, he does kind of mess with structure in his own way. But it also feels commercial to me. So I didn't know. I'm just pulling this out of my own curiosity. What do you think right. that genre would be that they're telling him he is? And how can that help writers once they know that to really elevate the stories that they're writing? Right. It's all marketing, right? Yeah. Like when we're talking about, oh, what genre are you writing in? What genre am I looking for? Or category? It all comes down to marketing and, you know, who publishers think are the readers that are going to buy certain types of books. So even if you think your writing is a certain thing, if your publishing team thinks differently, that's the path they're going to take because Mm -hmm. they have done years and years of like the analysis to figure out who's reading those things. My guess is, as far as the the story you're telling, it's probably upmarket fiction is the go-to. It's like that middle ground between right. commercial and and literary fiction. So that's my guess, whether mm-hmm. that's what he thought he was writing. I don't know. I'm not really sure what right. was in his mind when he started. Right. But yeah, I would say like upmarket is usually the in-between that we see. And I think for me personally, I'm kind of like, like upmarket's great. I think mm-hmm. I even lean a little more literary than than some agents. It can be trickier to sell books that are literary just because they are a bit more on the quiet side, right? Sometimes it takes a little bit more to explain what the books are about and that sort of thing. I like a challenge. So I'm I'm okay with that. And that just kind of goes back to my own reading choices growing up. That's what I gravitate to. So that's just naturally 
what's going to excite me in the quarry inbox are those stories with that literary quality of writing. But yeah, I imagine upmarket is the category that gets thrown around the most yeah. just, just to avoid the literary fiction yeah. label because it is more tricky. Well, it's so interesting because I I mean, I there's definitely an audience for literary, even if it's more challenging. There definitely are target mm. readers for that. You know, I probably lean more upmarket literary than commercial, straight up commercial. Yeah. I like the hybrid. So probably like you're guessing here, dominantly, I'm drawn to upmarket. But I do like some commercial. I do like some literary. So smushing that around. And it's just interesting. I remember, like you said, I love that you're saying this is about marketing. Another author that I love is Jodi Pico. And I was watching an interview with her. And she said that she chose commercial. So it was like one of those things like yeah. she, she chose to market it as commercial. But she definitely would almost have more of like a literary angle to it as well. So it's so interesting that so much is defined by that marketing side of things. When you are saying that you love the literary side of things, are there any recent books that have been published or are upcoming that you would use as examples or you'd love to see as comps in your query letters? That's a really good question. I find comps really difficult. I know it's, again, a marketing thing to mm -hmm. be like, my book is like this. And I find it, especially at the querying stage as an agent, I'm always hesitant to put them out there because I think it can be really challenging for writers that if I mention a comp and they're like, oh, but my book's nothing like that. So automatically they're like, she's not the right agent. Mm -hmm. for me if that makes sense mm -hmm. uh, so like I'm yeah I find calm kind of difficult I understand how it can help position a book but as far as being a person like asking to see submissions I'm so hesitant to put any type of barrier that would make someone think that their book isn't the right fit for that reason sure especially when it comes to something like literary because it's so different no two literary fiction novels are similar in any way because so much of it comes down to the writing style. I can mention a couple touchstone things that I love about certain books. So there's a book Night Film by Marisha Pessel that I absolutely love. It has these horror elements in it, but it's not strictly horror. Like it feels very realistic. It pulls in some, you can download an app <laughs> to scan parts of the book that show you movie posters and stuff that have to do with the plot. So things like that, I find really, really interesting, just kind of pushing the the medium of storytelling. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that's really, really cool to me. I love the Gollum and the Genie by Helen Wecker, which is a few years old, but that's like perfect blend of literary with a bit more of a historical bent and fantasy. So all these things that kind of blend different genres and categories really pique my interest. Genre blending, for sure. This is really cool to hear all this because I like to, to hear the variety of taste. And I haven't read those titles that you mentioned, but they sound very interesting. And now I'm curious, of course, to go mm -hmm. check them out. I also wanted to talk because you do a great job at teaching writing. And you've talked about how you like to support your clients in various parts of the process. After you sign a client, how involved are you in their editing process and how involved are you in their writing process for future books? I love that question. If it's a new client, I'd say I'm quite heavily involved in the editing process just because we're getting to know one another through how they work, how I work. And we want to make sure that we're being as collaborative as 
possible kind of testing those communication barriers to see the best way to work together. So always a few rounds of editing going to any project, whether that's a picture book or a novel, any type of project, there's going to be back and forth. And even with nonfiction proposals, I do dive in and give my opinion, ask a lot of questions, knowing of clients' decision in the end, right? Like I work for them. So a lot of the editing is more so me. I'll highlight certain passages and just be like, as a reader, this part isn't working for me. You know, mm -hmm. these are the questions I have. Let's talk about it. So it's just a lot of communication. And I think a lot of writers benefit from having somebody else read their writing and ask those questions that they're not thinking of. I find that editing, the editing needed for me kind of slows down over the years of working with a client as they get more practice, they publish more books, they get that really good relationship with their editor at their publishing house. So my role as an editor isn't as important because, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I'm not an editor, I'm an agent. At first, it's really important. And then it just kind of fades away as time goes on. And the more I work with some and then my role as far as teaching really comes down to going over more of the business side of things, teaching my clients what's going on in your contract what does this mean these are the terms that are being offered are they good for you now for this project are they good for what you want to accomplish long term as far as the amount of money that the publisher wants to give you as an advance or the royalties being offered what kind of rights are they trying to buy from you so yeah i definitely see my role as more business oriented than editing oriented Yes. But there's always going to be some back and forth with my clients as we're getting those projects ready. I like that you're saying this about business oriented because a huge part of this podcast and a huge part of what I'm trying to help writers do is always learn how to blend business and passion together. So mm -hmm. I, I pulled that term. I had interviewed John Cusick and he had said that. And I was like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to do as well. So when you're doing that and you're helping these writers blend business and passion because so much of the business, role, you have to figure out how to be a career manager as well as an agent. Mm -hmm. So when you're helping writers figure out how to manage their careers, there are these tough things like contractual language that you have to start deciphering. That for me is the part that I know nothing about. And I'm yeah. sure many writers out there are super overwhelmed by anything that talks about contractual language. And language is important. We know this mm -hmm. as writers, right? And right. It's, just, it's just important in this different way. So when you're reading a contract, is that something over experience you've just learned for certain terms that you're looking for and understanding how you're negotiating a good deal? But I guess the question, if I can sum this up in an easy way, how do you negotiate a good deal? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's gotten easier over time and my knowledge has grown over time. Luckily, when I started, I had great mentors at PS Literary Agency. Mm -hmm. President Curtis Russell was they're right by my side when I started. So I learned from from the best. This isn't good. This is why. Mm -hmm. And then you just kind of compartmentalize that knowledge for the next time it shows up. And then I know it's hard to say what makes a good deal because that it really does differ for each of my clients, depending on the type of work they're, they're doing. And having worked on so many illustrated projects over the past few years, there's just a lot of things that go into it that I don't think many writers consider many agents of 
only writers consider. Like there's a lot more that we need to be aware of when it comes to the scheduling for deliverables for artists versus for writers. You know, for a writer, there's a novel. We're doing a novel. There's one delivery date, right? right? It's due on this time, whereas art is broken out into so many different delivery deadlines. And then, you know, you kind of have to juggle that with, okay, is my client also working on something else? Like, do they need to work on something else with, you know, right. the amount of advance that that a publisher is offering? So like you said, that it, it really is the role of a career manager and kind of knowing what terms I need to look out for for each of my individual clients, depending mm -hmm. on where they're at in their career, where they want to go. So yeah, the contract stuff is just to learn over the years. It's really hard to get that experience until you're doing it, mm -hmm. right? And Which makes mm -hmm. sense. It's private information. You can't just, right. as like an intern in the industry or something, look no. at right. contracts and learn that. Right. So it's it really is just really good mentorship. Yeah. Getting started, which I had, and I'm very confident in my ability to negotiate deals and contracts now. But even saying that, there's always going to be things that pop up that you kind of need some support from your team from. Yes. And I think, you know, for writers listening to this podcast and trying to decide on the right agent fit for them, I highly encourage doing some research on not just individual agents, but their agency as a whole. Who else is part of that agent's team? Because even... For my clients, yes, I'm their agent. I'm their go-to person. I'm the one handling all their stuff. But if if I get a contract and there's something weird in it that I haven't seen before, I do have people on my team that I can go to to help troubleshoot anything that comes up. We have a contracts manager. If something comes up that we have to negotiate, like brand new legal, right? We have those people. We have someone on staff who goes through all of the royalty statements that are coming in and handles all the accounting side of things, right? It's not just me that's part of my client's management team. So it's a lot of support from other people in the agency as well. Fantastic note. I love that you pulled this out. That is one of the things that I have admired the most about PS Literary Agency from the beginning is how collaborative and supportive and truly supportive each agent is of one another and any member of that team. I've seen that and it's just wonderful, wonderful. And I hope that all agencies are doing that as well because it is. That's one of the things that I've really loved about the publishing industry. I had background in the film industry. I went into publishing and everything was very supportive. Mentors were a big thing. I think you do truly need a mentor. Whatever industry you're in, you need a strong mentor. And I definitely had in the entertainment industry, I had mentors. I had people who I could go to. And mm -hmm. in these high-stress jobs, fast-paced all the time, you really need a mentor that you can consult with. And I saw that yeah. so naturally as an editorial intern. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just yeah. praising I'm praising that answer because <laughs> I think that, I think that yeah. it's a really good answer. I think that you do always need to look at the agency as well as the agents. It's a pairing. So... That's really cool. In addition to everything that you've learned with the mentorship that you've been through, you've been doing this almost a decade now. So it's definitely you understand what you're doing. You also, interestingly, back in August 2022, this is still 2022, we're on the cusp of it, but still 2022 when we're recording this, you did a webinar called WTF is a Literary Agent. And mm -hmm. I love that you did that because while it seems when you've been in publishing, it can seem pretty obvious what a literary agent is. 
I still think we have to remember that there are so many writers who are just in the beginning stages of this and might not know what a literary agent is. So I was curious what your motivation was for that webinar. What sparked your interest in doing something like that? And what were some big key points that you hope people took away from it? Thanks for this question. It's a great one. And I've been teaching in various capacities since I've been an agent. So like I mentioned earlier, I kind of started in the education field and I I do love teaching. It's something that I love doing and very different from teaching high school students, getting to work with the writers. They want to be there and they want to learn from you. It is very joyful to be able Mm -hmm. to do it. So yeah, I've taught on all different sorts of topics from writing query letters, first pages, doing stuff on nonfiction proposals, graphic novel proposals. So kind of all over the place. And I would say in each instance of any course that I've done, any conference I've done, there's always people who ask those beginner questions. Yeah. And for me and you and others who have been in the industry and learning about the industry for a while, we do forget that there are certain things that you need to understand to get a footing in the industry and learn those further things. If you don't understand the difference between a literary agent and an editor, it doesn't matter how good your book is because you don't know who to approach with that book. Like Like you just, you don't know. So yeah, I found I was getting questions from courses that went back to the basics. A lot of times we think of writing a query letter as the basics. So write this thing to pitch literary agents. But if you don't know who to send those letters to, that really isn't the first step. Right. I would even say on a regular basis, get query letters from writers asking me or my colleagues at PS Literary to publish their book. Like, oh, I'm looking for a publisher. Like, can you publish this? And that's not what we do. And I think it's really important for writers to know the role of an agent, not just for the basics of what do we do versus an editor, but also understand what it means to be represented by an agent, understand what it is we can do to help your career, or maybe understand that you don't need an agent for the goals that you want to achieve. I think that's important too. Obviously, I believe in agents and agencies and that we are very helpful and useful for writers and have a place in the publishing industry, but I don't believe it's for everybody. I truly do not believe every writer necessarily needs an agent, depending on their goals. So that was a big influence for why I wanted to teach that course was just like, this is what we do. This is what you can expect from an agent and looking for an agent. But also, if that doesn't align with what you're doing, that's okay too. You could take a different path to publishing if that's what's suitable for you and your work. I think you're really intuitive with addressing this because I get this question all the time. Should I traditionally publish or should I self-publish? And mm-hmm. it's such a personal question. But it's like, I can't answer that question for you. I can help you explore options and why the option might be a better fit for you. So when you're helping someone, you, you said that sometimes an agent might not be the best way for them and other times it is. When do you think a person is best suited to pursuing traditional publishing and agenting versus Mm. not. It comes down to your goals with getting your book out there. If your goal is just, I want to do the thing, I want it to be available for someone to purchase, or it's just really important that my close friends and family have access to this. If your goal isn't to be with a major publisher, if you're not interested in making 
a career out of being a writer, then you likely you're not going to benefit from having an agent as much as other writers will who truly want to be authors. So an agent is really best suited for those who want to turn writing into a business. They want to put out books, hopefully. They're really invested in putting in the time and energy that comes into promoting their work, learning about publishing as an industry, not just putting their book up for sale online. Right. That sort of stuff. But even if it's a one-off, if you're interested in working with a smaller publisher, an indie publisher, a lot of the times you don't need an agent to submit your work to those smaller publishers. So the one thing I would say is if you don't have an agent to help you with that, consider hiring a lawyer who understands entertainment and IP law. You want someone to help you make sure you're not giving all your rights away to someone that you don't need to be. So I think some help is necessary, but mm -hmm. it doesn't always need to be an agent. But if it's like a long-term career thing, an agent's probably the way to go. Yeah. I've always really admired literary agents and believe in literary agents. That's part <laughs> of why we're here. But I think that a big thing that I've always seen is that you have a companion, that, but they're also your business partner. So they're your best advocate. At the same time, they're like your best supporter. And I think that it's a beautiful partnership when you can find the right match for that because having that advocate who really understands what you're trying to pursue when sometimes maybe even you haven't been able to put it into words mm -hmm. having someone to discuss that out with is a great relationship to help you move forward into that business mindset and how you're going to actually approach this as a career instead of there's nothing wrong with writing one book and putting it up there but it no, seems no, no. like most agents are looking for career authors they're looking for more than one book unless it's a nonfiction. maybe that would be an exception that maybe of that course would be yeah. yeah yeah i find a lot of times with nonfiction, it might be an extension of that business that someone is already doing and, and mm -hmm. that is like a different way of looking at it but i like what you said about it is like this collaborative your number one advocate someone who's there to help you with all things that have to do with writing and publishing and Obviously, as an agent, like I am very passionate about my client. I believe 100% in my client's work. I'm very lucky in that I get to choose who I work with. It is not mandated to me that I have to work on a certain book. Right. But I think, and as writers are obviously very passionate about their work, but it is very helpful to have somebody on your team, have an agent to oversee the business side of things because for writers there's a lot of work for writers to do mm -hmm. and not just write mm -hmm. the book there, there's so many things that kind of fall on to the author now so if you do have an agent that can kind of help take on some of the work on the business side of things it's very beneficial yes now sometimes when writers are doing literary agent research process they will of course pick an agent based on what their manuscript wish list is and that's mm -hmm. a good start but then also, I'm always trying to encourage writers, go a little bit deeper. There's more to it than just the manuscript wish list. Do you work together as a business partner? And if they are off lucky enough to be offered representation, they should also be interviewing agents and be asking them questions to see if they're a right fit. I think when it comes down to when you are having this business partnership, there does have to be a strongly established bond of trust between the two. How do you ensure that your client's understand that you're trustworthy and how do you look for that receptively in a client? 
Yeah. I love how you mentioned that writers should interview agents because mm-hmm. with all of my clients, it starts with a phone call or a Zoom conversation. That is where it begins. As much as I love a project, my wish list might align with what somebody has written. It that Those initial calls tell me pretty much everything I need to know. Is this writer ready to make this a career? Are they driven to make this happen? Do they understand the business to an extent? You know, have they done some research? Are they ready to take this, you know, next step in their Mm -hmm. career? Mm -hmm. And I think as far as fostering open communication, making sure that there's a lot of trust, it all just comes down to being honest Mm -hmm. with one another. I do not have a filter when it comes to my clients. When Like if things are going great, I'm there to celebrate. If things are not going good, I won't hide it from them. If we have a project out on submission and it's not selling, if we're getting some feedback from editors and, you know, they're not loving it for whatever reason, I share all of that with my clients. If my clients have any question for me about anything, they know that is what I'm here for. Like you said, looking at manuscript wish lists is a great first start. It's really hard to get the vibe of an agent off the internet. It's tricky. But if you do get to have a call with an agent, I think you just kind of know, right? You either click with someone or you don't. You either appreciate their communication style, the way they talk about things, or it's just not for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it goes both ways. I think the same way about writers. Sometimes it's just clear that, you know, they're looking for someone that that isn't me and that's okay, right? In the end, it is a business partnership. You're making a business decision and it comes down to being able to collaborate with that person. Definitely. Is there anything in particular that you like for communication styles? You mentioned that you want to be open and honest with communication. Is there a preference in how you communicate with your clients? I really leave that up to them. I'm pretty adaptive as far as, you know, I have some clients that hate talking on the phone Mm -hmm. and that's fine. And it'll all be email. I have some clients who will call me or text me out of the blue with questions and that's okay. I'd say the majority of them will schedule calls with me. So it's kind of like, okay, we're working on this project. Let's set a call. So we both have time to prepare and write down our own questions. It definitely varies. And I think most agents are quite adaptive to whatever Mm -hmm. it is that their clients need, especially these days. There's just so many different ways to communicate with one another. Lots of options to choose from. Exactly. You mentioned that you love teaching and there is another course that I took from you years ago now. I don't even remember how many years ago now, but I loved it. It's still stuck in my mind. Writing first chapters and how to know when you've written a knockout first chapter that's going Mm -hmm. to hook a literary agent. And part of the strategy in this, if I remember this correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but you talked about sentence length variation and it's the only person I've heard it from. And I loved Loved it because it was so practical. And you talked about how you know that when something gets redundant, you're going to lose someone. And it makes sense that you're you know, attracted to literary writing, too. And it, when I think about this, I'm putting these yeah. together. But you need sentence like variation in paragraphs and in chapters. Can you talk more about what you mean by sentence like variation and how writers can identify if they need it? It's always interesting to talk about craft because as agents, like we don't actually get to talk about it that much because we're focused on so many other things. And when I do teach a course on craft, somewhat I find it difficult to condense what it is that 
attracts me to certain writing because I'm not a writer. So I don't live and breathe writing and editing every day like you do and other people do. But as far as sentence length variation, it's such a cool thing on the page that you can see when when editing. And I think especially in like that first chapter, those first few pages, it's really important. If every sentence on your first page is made up of five words, as someone who's reading it, it's a very repetitive rhythm. And I feel like I pulled that from what I've learned about representing picture books and editing picture book texts. Because for picture books, you are telling an entire story in 1,000 words. You will see sentence variation a lot. There's a lot of like one word sentences where or if you're trying to have a scene in a picture book, you're very choosy about your words. And if you're going to have a very long sentence, there's a reason for it. There's a structural reason that you're doing it. And I don't think we think about it in novels quite that much, but it does just create a different pattern for the reader. Obviously, if they're reading out loud and they could hear it, but even in mm -hmm. your mind, it does make a difference to read a long sentence followed by a short one. And it can be a startling change too mm -hmm. when you're reading a very long paragraph and then maybe the next paragraph is only two words. That's going to stand out. So I think it's just like a really interesting technique that a lot of writers can use to add variety to their work, even if it's done. Like even if your first chapter is finished and you don't feel like you need to edit the content necessarily, going in to edit the structure a little bit could make a really big difference. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's something that you don't think about, sentence length variation. And as soon as you're told exactly mm -hmm. what's going on with the language, because it can elevate your voice if you can get out of this redundancy, monotonous tone of everything is, and you know, it doesn't have to be everything is exactly seven or 10 words in a sentence, but roughly around that same length, it stands out. It's so obvious mm -hmm. to me now that I pay attention to it and immediately you know, just really amplify the quality of the language when you can have that variety and you can start to see style and voice coming into it. So I loved that. With your other first chapter tips, is there anything that you think is really important that hooks your attention when you're reading a first chapter? I feel like this advice is given a lot, but it's so important to start in the middle of a scene. <laughs> it's so important. Typically, if I'm reading first pages, the most common reason why I lose interest is because it starts with a character going from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And the story doesn't start until they reach point B. So why do we have that preamble? Why are you starting your book with the character getting to the most important location for that first chapter? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, if you just cut all of that at the beginning, it's a much better opening. I just think that's one of the simplest, easiest things that a writer can look at in their first chapter that makes a world of difference, whether it's an agent or an editor or a reader. Where you start your story, that's where you have to hook them. And if you don't, you've lost a potential business partner, book deal, reader, whatever it is. I think it's a common piece of advice, but I don't know if people, I don't know if writers don't understand how easy it is to fix it. You don't have to rethink the entire opening of your book. It's usually just, okay, if I cut the first two pages in this first chapter, it's probably at a better starting point. Definitely. I think one of the resources I like to use is the Writer's Guide to Beginnings by Paula Munet. And she mm -hmm. said something like, on average, usually you can read 50 pages 
of that manuscript and realize, okay, we're starting actually on page 50. <laughs> so it's interesting yeah. to think about it. And it, of course, this is just a guess of, of that. It could be a strategy. Don't just automatically just cut 50 pages just because of course, you can get yeah. 50 pages. But look for that. It's interesting to say start in the middle of a scene because how do you then balance? You do need to ground people in character and setting, but you're saying you don't need to do that in such a lengthy way. You probably can do that easier through action. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. What I like to see is you do need to ground. You need some background information. Readers need it, but it doesn't have to be at the beginning of the book. Like it should be in the beginning chapters of the book, probably right. before you get to, you know, the height of what's going on in your story. But even if you start in the middle of a scene, there are ways to weave in backstory as it's relevant to what's happening in the current scene. And that's when it works best. We're in a scene, things are moving forward. We're already seeing things happening. Maybe there's a callback to something reminds a character of something that happened previously. And we get that in the narration. And it's just a quick one or two sentences mm -hmm. that's kind of filling in the blanks. And I find that works a lot better as an mm. opening chapter. And if your story is one that does have a lot of backstory, there's a lot of explaining that has to happen. Just wait a bit, right? Like wait till chapter two or three. Yeah. Right. Get get the reader invested first in where the story's going. And then you can kind of pull. And then you can pull back. Absolutely. Great advice. We are winding down to the end of the podcast. So at the end of every podcast, I like to do a lightning three where I ask you three quick questions and you answer in one sentence. And if you don't answer in one sentence, there's no penalty here. But if you can try to answer in one sentence, all the more challenge for you, you like a challenge. The first question that I have for you, if you're ready, the first question is that you love graphic novels and you have such an eye for a captivating graphic novel. Now, a graphic novelist, do they need to be? So I guess this is actually, I'm going to cheat. This is a two-part question. Do they need to be an illustrator as well as the writer in order to write the graphic novel? And if not, how do they go about even completing a graphic novel that could be queried? How do you help them with all that? Okay. One sentence mm -hmm. answer. No. A graphic novel writer does not also have to be an illustrator. You can query a graphic novel script just like you would a novel. Follow-up to the follow-up. <laughs> How do you write a graphic novel differently than a traditional manuscript? What would the formatting for that look like? So a graphic novel would be in a script format. There's lots of examples for a graphic novel script format, but even if you look up a TV script or a film script, that's the baseline of what someone would be looking for. Anything? So I'll move on to question two for you here. <laughs> but it's, the, it's, I guess I just have many questions. I should have asked you about this earlier. So the second question I want to ask you about that is if you are writing a graphic novel in a manuscript, I like to say Ernest Hemingway always had the iceberg theory. So in a film, everything is what you could see outside of the surface. And in a novel, everything is below the surface. So much more to write when it comes to a traditional manuscript. But when you're writing a script, you of course, are still writing story, but you're not writing such elaborate details and especially like emotions of characters, I think is a big thing. Like a lot more is focused on the actions and then the actors get to take over how it actually is going to appear in the visual sense. So when you're writing a graphic novel, 
what are the big things that a writer needs to make sure is included in the copy so that they are hooking and grabbing and engaging their readers and also helping their illustrator if they're not the illustrator already? And what are the things that they don't need to focus as much on in comparison to a traditional manuscript? So the important thing with the script, if you're not an illustrator, is having your pages broken down into panels. Eventually, that's what a graphic novel script needs to look like. I do see a lot of beginner graphic novel writers not do that. So Mm -hmm. the script will be like, okay, page one, this is what happens. I need to see what happens in each panel on that page one. And as far as it being different, in a novel, you would get into all the details of exactly like what the character's bedroom looks like what color the sheets are on their bed like that sort of thing that's not important in your graphic novel script it's really just you know page one panel one we're in the character's bedroom and then panel two this is what the character is doing so it's like just very stage directions almost is a good way to look at them and then the other thing to that you would have to include is any dialogue that would happen in a panel. So pretty bare bones when you compare it to what's going on in a novel. Yes, that's great to know. For what you represent as well, you represent illustrators who don't write and you represent writers who don't illustrate and you represent Mm -hmm. combos, right? Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. There you go. So if you're an illustrator and you want to do publishing in the graphic novel sense, you still need an agent probably because they'll help pair you with Yeah, they could help pair, but also if you're doing any illustrating for a long form work, Mm -hmm. there there are certain things that you deserve to, like you deserve to get royalties from a book, just like the writer does. And so having an agent could kind of help navigate what's fair and and what type of situations, because obviously for illustrators, they take on lots of different types of projects. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Now, our third and final question, I like to ask this for most agents that I interview. And my question is, what makes you the best letter agent for an ideal client who's querying you? So what is the factor that stands out about you that would ensure that you are going to be their best advocate and best business partner in this career? I work tirelessly to make sure that my clients receive the best possible terms from publishers is my number one and something that we all need and appreciate so (laughs) thank you thank you and thanks maria so there's your lightning three i do want to let listeners know what are some client works coming out from you what are some that you're representing what do you want to draw people to and of course i like to have some social media content that i'll include with these as well, but anything standing out that you're really excited about that you want to share with listeners today and anything that you want to say about those? Sure. I guess a couple of weeks ago now, time. What is time? It, I know, it keeps, right? It's flying by. <laughs> My client, Kat Min, published her second picture book. It's called The Little Toy Maker, and it's about a little boy that makes toys for elderly people. So it's just kind of like a little spin on the gift-giving stories that we typically hear about in December, you know, the holiday time of year. And Catman's books, both this one and her first Shy Willow, are the perfect examples of what I look for in in picture books. Mm -hmm. Like, it's more literary writing as far as picture books go. The 
artwork is beautiful and a bit quirky. Definitely shout out to Catman who writes the cutest stories for kids. And then thinking a little ahead, trying to think of the next books I have coming out. I have a couple licensed books coming out, one from Mighty Nine graphic novel series by Sam Meggs. And Sam Meggs is also doing a Star Wars Jedi novel that comes out in early 2023. And my client Incha Fitzpatrick has a very cool middle grade nonfiction coming out in March of 2023 called Hanging with Vampires. And it's a very real life history of, of vampires. So diving into all of the historic lore and everything that that has to do with those supernatural creatures. So very cool to have a nonfiction book about supernatural things coming out. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing those titles. I'll make sure to include all of those in the show notes. I'm going to be purchasing the toy maker, I think, for my toddler <laughs> because that sounds lovely. So I love the idea of that one and turning it and making it about gift giving. That's really cool. And as always, it is so fun to talk to you. I learn from you every time we chat and I'm so grateful for this relationship and I'm so excited for listeners to hear from you and for ideal clients to start querying you. Thank you. It was, it was a blast. Thank you so much for joining me for another conversation on Lit Match. I feel so grateful each day that I get to talk to these brilliant literary agents and ask them questions about the book industry and equally as honored that I have the ability to reach writers like you in order to achieve your writing and author dreams. And hopefully I get to be a support system in all of that. I really am so grateful that you are here listening to each episode. If you ever have continued questions or recommendations for Lent Match, I'm always open to your suggestions and would love to hear from you. You can email me at abigailshayperry at gmail.com or find me on my website, www.abigailkperry.com. Also have my email list set up. So I would love to provide even more great writing tips or if you want to hear when the latest podcast has been out and the big tips on that, please don't hesitate. Go head over to my website, again, www.abigailkperry.com and sign up for my email list and we can start communicating right away there. Finally, I do have a special ask. If you haven't had a chance to rate and review the show, and this show has made a difference in your literary agent research process, in your writing process, in any stage of taking what you've written on your computer and actually moving it forward into being published as a book through a traditional publisher, I so would appreciate if you rate and review the show. This helps me reach more writers like you who are putting all their heart into their manuscripts and also take out any stress or overwhelm when it comes to researching the literary agent who is the best fit for their business career. And of course, on top of all of that, if you can refer it to your other writing friends, that is equally important to me. Thank you so much for helping me spread the word. I can't do this without you. And I so appreciate that support. Until next time, if you're in the writing process, persevere. Your passion and what you're doing matters. And if you just signed with a literary agent, congratulations. I'm so excited for you. If you're on the cusp of it, let me know how I can support you. I'd love to celebrate you. And of course, I'm always happy to celebrate your book when it comes out. <laughs>